Any thug can kill. I have to know I can trust you. Well, I understand double O's have a very short life expectancy. You are a kite dancing in a hurricane, Mr. Bond. Is this really what you want? Always alone? to be able to get into a room with the enemy. Now they're just floating in the ether. When her secret finds its way out, it'll be the death of you. Oh my God, target enough people. Number of people become the weapon. Who is he? James, you don't know what this is? James Bond, licensed to kill, in love with Madeline Swan. I could be speaking to my own reflection. Only your skills die with your body. And life is all about leaving something behind, isn't it? Come on, Bond, where the hell are you? do this, there will be nothing left to save. I have to finish this. You are a flower artist. No. Hey everybody, welcome back. You are watching Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ, he is Steve, and James is my middle name in episode 244 <laughs> today, October 7th, 2021. It's almost like it was meant to be. We're going to be going right into our topic of the day, which is the James Bond No Time to Die movie review. I suppose it goes without saying, but we will be going into spoiler territories. So spoiler alert, you have, in fact, be warned. Before we actually dive into it, though, make sure you shake that subscribe button. Maybe stir that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single episode of Joygasm, which drops once a week, every week. Steve, what do you think of the film? Well, Russ, uh, it's been a while since I've seen a little James Bones. Oh, really? It's been a while since I've been shaken, not stirred. Oh. Which I don't think he even said in this movie. He was just popping down drinks left and right. I thought there was one time that he did say the line. Did he? I, 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 I want to say he did one time. Mm, 
maybe it was like in passing. Yeah, a vodka martini. Oh, shake and upstart. Oh, but uh, no, it, it was definitely fun. A lot of action. Russ, you thought it was a lot of action. A lot of action, I thought. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, but I will say, um, since it's been a while since I've seen a Bond flick, I'm a bit out of touch uh, with what has been going on. Mm-hmm. And so there were plenty of times where I, th- I was thinking, like, you know, I should know what's going on, but <laughs> I really don't know what's going on. Now, yes. Remind me as well as all of our listeners slash viewers out there. Uh, have you seen every single one of the Daniel Craig James Bond films? Yes. Continue. But I I don't remember a lot of them. It's been a while. Mm. I mean, it I has been a few minutes, Russ. And so um, I knew that uh, in past films at some point, the M of old has... Died. You mean the Q? The was it Q or M? <laughs> I'm just playing with you. No, it's, uh, I don't know anymore. <laughs> uh, I thought Q was the uh, Q's the <laughs> yeah yeah Q, Q is the the, the tech uh, gadget scientist guy. Right, right, M's yeah. more of the you know, the boss. Wasn't John Cleese uh, Q and a different James Bond? Ross wasn't that the uh, the case? He, you're asking if was he a different Q? Yeah, well, didn't he play Q when when there were not not the Daniel Craig James Bond, but maybe like Pierce Brosnan. Brosnan. <laughs> maybe that one. They wasn't, didn't he? He okay. So I I want to say that when we because I think he may have been actually in a couple of uh, Pierce Brosnan Bonds, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. I want to say in the first one he was by a different letter, and then mm. in the second film that he was in, the second Bond film he was in, he actually took over the role of Q. I'll have to look back on that. It mm. has been a long time since I've seen the Pierce Brosnan, yes. James Bonds, but I want to say that was kind of how it went. Mm. Does that sound familiar to you? No. <laughs> okay, then. So, anyhow, um, a lot of the beginning of the movie is really what you see in the trailer, which is filmed pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think it was it was great. You got a lot of like you know swoopy shots and zoomy on the level shots and like drone shots uh, and whatnot. So uh, I enjoyed it. My wife enjoyed it. But uh, I think beyond the action, Russ, mm. I didn't know. I I'm like I recognize that guy right there, <laughs> Daniel Craig. I know what movie I'm at. Um, this is a major breakthrough for Steve. So I, I know what movie I'm in. <laughs> Can't outsmart me this time. <laughs> so, um, but I'm like, where? Well, you know, I thought I had seen this villain somewhere else, like with the mask and everything. And I could be totally wrong. Probably am. Are you talking it, about the, the Daniel Craig Bonds or just overall? Yeah, yeah, the Daniel Craig Bonds. I thought I saw him before, but I don't know, maybe not. Anyway, I didn't think the villain got enough uh, screen time. I mean, mm. he, um, I, he, you could tell that there was a lot of history there. He was kind of bent on revenge. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think they showed enough of it to really, you know, get me into caring if uh, if he lived or died. Or uh, I mean, I, I kind of wanted to know more about him. I mean, the villain's important, sure. Um, but in this one, I kind of just didn't really care. I thought um, Alec did a good job uh, portraying him. Anyway, yeah. with a little what with. with what little screen time he had. Mm-hmm. 
Um, mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I noticed in, in this Bond movie, Russ? Is that uh, maybe from the last one, I've never heard very little about the last one, but they're really trying to make James Bond settle down with a woman. Mm. Retire. Mm-hmm. Family. Just, mm-hmm. you know, put away the tight suit. Mm. Hang it up. Form-fitting suit. Right. He looks good in those suits, by the way. No, I mean, I no bash against... Uh, no, no, no. He, he's a sharp man. I was going to say, he was dressed in the 90s. He's a very sharp man in that suit. But in other James Bonds, I mean, Bond's a playboy. You know, he's kind of like, oh, hey, how you doing? Would you like to sleep together? <laughs> yeah, that's more um, of the Sean Connery version of James Bond, yes. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he seems a real... <laughs> He's a real playboy. I mean, a lot of like, you know, Bond films, there's Bond girls. Yeah. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. And so then after that film's done, it's like, hey, things are bringing the flavor of the film and uh, I'm out. Mm-hmm. And that's it. But they're really trying to, you know, it seemed like they were making them settle down Russ, in the last couple films. Mm-hmm. But um, anyhow, I enjoyed it. Um, I was just really confused, I guess. <laughs> you know. I didn't really know what was going on. I'm like, ah, I probably should have seen a couple of the old Bond films before watching that. I do think this one came out a bit later than it should have. I mean, it was... It well, was, it was it originally was, scheduled for like, I think 2019. Right. Was it? Well, I don't know about 2019. It was, no, no, no. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Like, I, I was, I was going to say it may... <laughs> yeah. Really? Basically, it, it's gone through a series of delays. Um, and I think... It was originally scheduled to come out in 2019. It got pushed to 2020. Don't even need to talk about what happened in 2020. So then that got pushed to 2021. So yeah, it was scheduled to come out a little while ago. Hmm. Well, it would have made sense if it came out a while ago. Indeed, Steve. Indeed. So uh, anyhow, I don't want to get quite to the end yet, Russ. <laughs> I know you like to uh, journey our way bash there. on me a bit for that. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> Now, do you remember anything that happened in the earlier films? I mean, can you, uh, you know, refresh my memory, wind me back a little bit? Yes, I can to a certain extent because oh, thank you. I anticipated that I would have the same problem mm. where it has been a while since I've seen um, certain Daniel Craig, James Bond films, and especially because this one mm. had been delayed a couple of times. I was thinking, okay, I know that in this type of film, um, they have actually decided to, to act as like a continuation from right. the previous films, which is not like a normal type of recipe for a James Bond series. Like if you, if you think back to the other films, like they 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 will have like certain elements that will kind of act like a connector to the various films. Like if you look at the Pierce Bros and James Bonds, or you look at the Sean Connery James Bonds, whatever. Yeah. You can look at those and there are, like I said, like little like echoes or something that can help it. But by and large, most of the time, every single one of those films is kind of like a standalone James Bond story. Right. So they've, they've kind of ditched that right. with the Daniel Craig version, which is really fresh. It's really new. And so what I ended up doing was I watched the uh, Casino Royale film, which is the first one. I hadn't seen that in so long. That is such a great movie. That's the that's a really good one. Yeah, really, yeah. really great. I also ended up watching Spectre again because Spectre was of the course. one that came out before this film. Right. And this film is very tight. 
tightly. I mean, it's basically like, you Very know, spectory. We, we had like a multi-year intermission and now we're into like the yeah. second half of the play kind of thing. So I going into it, I had a, a more refreshed um, bearing on like what was going on, but there were still moments where I was like still kind of struggling with like, okay, what is the relationship significance of this character versus bond and you know what's going on with that? So yeah, that there was um, enough of that, but it has been um, just a, a, a really cool journey when I, when I think about the various films and like I ended up buying, uh, Oh, by the way, uh, as I'm talking about this, there are certain places that have the other Daniel Craig, James Bond films on sale for like 30% off for every film or something like that. Mm. So I ended up going and I, I just bought all of them and um, I totally intend to continue watching the, the ones I haven't watched recently, which are, you know, quantum of solace and skyfall. However, I mean, I've, I've watched them all in the theater um, and I've also watched them at home throughout the years. It's crazy because I think Casino Royale was released in 2000, I want to say 2006. I was thinking 2006 also. That is a pretty substantial amount of time ago. Indeed. It's been paying Mr. Craig uh, quite a few bucks to be in a series that long. Indeed. But does that answer your question at all? Or Yeah, sure, Russ. Uh, <laughs> I mean, kind of sort of, you kind of beat her on the bush a little bit, but we could be sitting here for the next few I hours. Bush, I gave a very <clears throat> thorough answer as to why I was not as confused as Yoash. The thing is, is like I, I really had to assume pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. Because like, and like James Bond is, you know, he kind of retired. He in the last movie, he's out and he's just wanting to live the, the glory life, having a nice woman at his side, seeing the Italian countryside, different sides, you know. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, of course, you know, he goes to kind of say his last goodbyes to this previous love of his life. And then, you know, a bomb blows up like they expected him, the villain expected him to do that. And so I thought, okay, I saw, you know, Malik's character, mm -hmm. Safin, Safin, that's it. He has a. I wrote it down. It's a. His first name is like Lucif. It almost sounds like Lucifer, but it's like Lucif. Anyway, his last name, yeah, it's Safin. Safin. It's much easier to say, right? Yeah, yeah, gonna say So, um, so we see Safin, and you're like, I think, okay, he's the enemy. And then he's so bent on revenge on Spectre. I think, okay, well, why are they after Bond then? Like, if they're not after him anymore and he's totally out, mm -hmm. why are they trying to kill him again? Yeah, that part I found to be somewhat confusing as well, just because, you know, Christoph Waltz's character um, makes a return in this one. And, th and he was the, the leader of Spectre. Right. And so there is a bit of that kind of like arch nemesis rivalry, not even really, really a rivalry, but like more of an arch nemesis um, in terms of like Bond and and uh, kind of like a, one of those villains that just keeps coming back and haunting Bond. But I, then I just drew the parallel of like, okay, he's got a fake robot kind of android eye. And he was like probably telling the other guy with the fake android robot-y eye to go do this bomb planting. Well, there's Italy. only one person who has who, who can wear the fake robot-y eye. What? 
well, that was the thug guy. Yeah, the but, Italian guy. But also, they were making the connection later in the movie that Bloomfield, I think is Blofeld. Blofeld. <laughs> Blofeld. He <laughs> uh, yeah, had the, the another robotic guy. That's where they got the other one. Remember, because they, the Q was like, okay, I'm going to see if I can reprogram this yeah. thing. And they, remember that? I remember that. So I, but they don't really tell you, like, yes, that's what happened. You kind of have to just draw the parallel of. Well, I think there was just one robotic eye and it was making its rounds. Like, I think like. <laughs> Here, try this one. Out. Yeah. Well, I mean, you saw it like get knocked out of that guy several <laughs> times. And then like there was certain moments where like, if you recall, there was a scene where you had those three bald guys look like three bald butlers uh, walking <laughs> through a rave, which was kind right. of a funny visual, but they had the eye on a little like, di- like a dish or like something. I don't know. Yeah. So anyway, like whoever was, was being able to view whatever the, the robotic eye was viewing, they could see it. And, and that, that same Italian guy was at that place, but he just didn't have the eye inserted in his head at that, that point in time. So uh, yeah, there, there was literally just one robotic eye. And I think it was just like, if I remember correctly, there was only uh, one person who actually could like, Stick it in uh, his cranium, as it were. Gross. Indeed, Steve. Oh, sorry. Let me watch that for you. <laughs> it's chafing me a little bit. My eye socket. Yeah. <laughs> it's lubricated. <laughs> My <laughs> cranial cavity. Yeah, it kind of itches now. <laughs> <laughs> Get a little bit of a rash. Oh, man. Well, I thought that the film itself was a bit more of a safer Bond film. And I've heard about how, you know, even Daniel Craig, he has sustained multiple injuries over the, the right. multiple Bond films. And so he has been kind of going on record talking about how he's going to rein it in a bit. He's not going to be as on the edge as, as he has been in previous Bond films. Sure. So it's interesting because this particular film, you can tell that they took more of an introspective and a reflective approach to the character of James Bond. He's clearly older. I think that's kind of one of the bittersweet things about just looking at any actor over the years is like you see people who have entertained you for a very long time, you know, throughout the the multiple decades. And it, it was weird because looking at Daniel Craig in this particular film, you could tell he's just a bit older. Right. And I, I think it, it is um, the perfect time for him to be able to retire from the, the character with dignity. And like, sure. he should be really proud of what he's, he's accomplished yeah, and what the cast and crew have accomplished because these have been phenomenal James Bond films. But I do think it, it, that was one of the things that I found interesting about this film in particular was that there wasn't that eye of the tiger that is usually associated with um, different types of actors who are portraying the role of James Bond, if that makes any kind of sense. And I think it's because that type of character demands more of a younger individual to be able to play that role because it's just so physically intense. I, I, I can see that. But I, what I also saw was a very like overly confident James Bond. In this one? Yeah. Not maybe not overconfident, but um, I mean, definitely more confident than he has been in other movies. Like he, he's always a confident guy. Like you know, he's skilled. He's got money. He's good looking. He's always going to be confident. But in this one, there was like less stress under pressure. 
Like, for example, when he's trying to get away, like in he, when he's in the, the Land Rover, mm-hmm. like they're trying to get, you know, get away from the, the baddies mm-hmm. and they're mm-hmm. in the, the enemies and like the newer Land Rovers, they can also, you know, they can drive faster. And he's like, not even spooked by it. He's just like, okay, I'm going to wait till they get to a certain point. Um, you know, I'm going to hit him in the fender. The rock's coming up. They're going to flip over and I'm going to do the same. Like he just did it with ease. I think what you're looking for is that he was seasoned. He was a seasoned veteran of what it is that he does. And I think that makes sense because it comes full circle in terms of when we first get introduced to the Daniel Craig version of James Bond and Casino Royale, they are very um, self-aware that they, it was almost like a, like a bond origin story, right? Where like, he doesn't have all of the finesse down yet. He doesn't have all of the charm and sophistication that everybody knows is just kind of, I don't know. It, it comes with the territory, right? Like, like that's who James Bond is. He was a much more raw bond. He was one where like, you know, in Casino Royale, we discover like, that was the first time he had ever killed somebody. And then we also witness how the more killing he does, the easier it gets for him. And so there, there has been that, that psychological wall of like, okay, wow. Like he had just achieved double O status. And so like going forward from there with every subsequent movie, it's like, there are certain facets to the character that once again, we've already known and love about the character through previous films, but they decided they wanted to have fun exploring those facets as to how bond either earned them or, or kind of stumbled into them by learning through trial by error. And I think that that, that was what was really cool about this film was that at this film, at this point, it was like things that would normally you know, potentially phase him or, or just like, you know, he, he's so caught in the moment of being intensely trying to survive. Now he's just like, Oh, you're going to do that. Okay. That's, that's fun. I'll do yeah. this. You know? And like there were just, there was that again, more of that seasoned type of mindset. Maybe that's it because, uh, and, and it, I'm not saying it was a bad thing. I was saying it was a yeah. pretty cool thing. Cause like when, when thugs would come up to him, like, no, what are you even thinking? Like, this is James Bond. Like, he, he's fought plenty of guys just like you. Yeah. You're not going to stand a chance. Just walk away sort of thing. Uh, and, of course, you know, he handled these guys with ease. And it wasn't like he was doing some superhero, you know, drop kick kind of moves. He was just taking them out as, as a skilled, you know, secret, you know, service kind of person would. Um, or even when they're coming at him on the bridge, they're driving real fast. He's like, you don't like, you see this rock right here. Like, <laughs> I'm just going to hide behind it. Your, your car can't do anything, you know? And then where he'll just jump off the bridge. Like he just knows what to do. He knows his surroundings. And it was just, it was cool to see him not buckle under pressure, uh, being seasoned. Yeah. And, uh, um, well, plus the man was on vacation and he's on vacation. You know, if, if we could all have the type of, exotic, amazing, long-term vacations that Brian seems to take on the regular. Money's no object. I think we'd be the same way. I see a car trying to run me over and I'd be like, oh, let me just dodge underneath this two-foot boulder. Yeah, that's that's the thing too you brought up with the cars because um, you you see it in the preview. He's driving his older... Aston Martin, yeah. right? So they kind of paid homage to like really long time ago. I like that. Yeah, I that, that, that had a lot of character in those cars. It's kind of cool because he was, uh, you know, it, it's almost like he had held on to that from like his daddy who was James Bond back in the day sort of thing. <laughs> like I'm driving my daddy's Aston Martin, you know, or he's collected all these Astons maybe over the years with all the gadgets and stuff in there. Sure. <clears throat> but 
What we didn't really see is, I mean, we saw some of the new Aston Martin, but there wasn't a whole, a whole lot of gadgets. Correct. Yeah. You know what the, I mean? There really, yeah, there weren't a lot of, well, there, there weren't a lot of exotic cars and, the, and there weren't a lot of new gadgets. And I think that, that that was one of the surprises I had with the film was they painted this picture of how you have these different intelligence agencies that no longer are really talking to each other. Like, like there's kind of a disruption of communications like with the CIA versus MI6 and even some of the other types of agencies around the world. And so it was interesting how there was a bit of a disconnect because we go into this movie and we realize, okay, Bond has basically like retired out from being a secret agent. Like, like he's, he's on vacation. He's done with it. Like, and it makes sense because inspector, there was a lot of stuff that went down inspector. And as far as he was concerned, he just wanted to get on with his life and take it easy. And then you combine that with also discovering how these different spy agencies really aren't, working as uh, simpatico as they once were. And it's an interesting type of, of setup because you have the remnants like with, with um, Phoenix, I think his name was the, the CIA guy. Joaquin, or Felix. Yeah, right. Felix is what his name. Not Phoenix. <laughs> Felix. <laughs> Felix. I'm sorry about that. Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh. Uh, but, and so it was interesting because they, they were playing around <laughs> with some of that stuff, but I think it, was acting as a little bit of a detriment to the overall James Bond film going experience because kind of what you're, what you're getting at, I think is there simply um, were not as many moments of like, Whoa, like, like just those, 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 you know, knuckle white knuckled nail biting uh, type of scenarios where you get to see some sort of cool bleeding edge tech in action, or you get to see these crazy, amazing cars. Now they did bring back one of the more, iconic bond cars. And we, but I mean, the, the problem with that was that we saw that ad nauseum in every single bond trailer that led up to the release of this film. So by the time we're watching this film unfold, we get to that scene. It's like, Oh yeah, that's the scene from the trailer that we, I mean, we've been desensitized to being thrilled in that particular scene because they, right. they just, you can tell they were real excited about showing that off. Um, so yeah, I, and again, I think all of what we're talking about right now plays into that kind of like it, it, acting as a, a James Bond bookend to the Daniel Craig series of James Bond in the sense that like there is a lot of, uh, moments of introspection as well as even reflection. And I think that it plays into both the action sequences, but it also plays into the character as well in terms of how far he's come and like what will ultimately be his, his resting place. Sure. Yeah. No, I see that too. Um, what, but you said white knuckle, there was a plenty of like white knuckle times when it was a, it was a jump, you know, like, uh, like when at the cemetery, when, when <laughs> that headstone explodes, I wasn't expecting that at all. Like, okay. So that was, okay. That was a bit different in the sense that that was completely unexpected. I jumped in the theater when right. that happened. That was very successful. That was a really well execution, um, of taking the, the audience uh, by surprise in that regard. But that is different because that's kind of more of like a jump scare. True. That's not like, you What's know, gonna happen? yeah, like bonds, like hanging yeah. from like a plane and he's got to do something because the oxygen is rapidly deteriorating because they're getting into the stratosphere, you know, like, like it, does, it doesn't have like that, that constant rising action, rising action, rising action toward a climax. It was literally like, 
oh yes, we had this moment. Once again, reflecting, he's reflecting right. on um, his, his first love. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, the whole thing just explodes in his face. So um, that was good storytelling right there. I must say. <laughs> Copyright. <laughs> I'm going to cut that part out. Oh boy. So when it comes to some of the cast, I want to talk about Anna de Armas. Okay. Um, she, oh my gosh, you, you don't know who I'm talking about. Uh, there's either the, there's either the, 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 the main chick <laughs> or it's the chick uh, that he meets in uh, Cuba. For shame, Steve. What? I am so ashamed of you right now. It is the lady from Cuba. Ah! And <laughs> she was in Blade Runner 2049 as the holographic love That's interest. Right. I'm so disappointed in you right now. I knew that name sounded familiar. He loves Blade Runner 2049. And we have talked many times about how awesome Man. that actress was in that film. And I cannot believe you did not make that connection. I did make that connection, but I'm making it now, Rose. <laughs> um, you know, I was going to mention this. Uh, not by name, of course. because you know. But they introduce her in this movie. And then, like, you know, the movie's over. So we, we get to know her, and she's freaking awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, she's like, she's such a strong personality. She's kicking butt. She's, mm-hmm. she's very charming. And, like... <laughs> I want to see Bond and her like hook up or something. Absolutely. Well, and see, th- that's one of the biggest things that I wanted to discuss was that, okay, severe disappointment here. Okay. And I'm just being real. Like, okay, she is gorgeous. She is dynamite. Like, like, just even before this film came out, like, like we've saw, okay. So we, we, we've seen her in Blade Runner 2049. She was also, I don't know if you've seen the movie Knives Out. With yeah, Daniel Craig. I saw, I saw She was in that? She was in that. She she was the main, um, like... Like the maid? Actress. Yeah, yeah. She was the one who, like, it wound... Oh. Well, actually, I'm not going to say anything because that would be a <laughs> spoiler for that film. But, um, but no, she's been in a number of different films. And, um, and my goodness, like, I didn't even recognize her in the trailer. It was when yeah. all of a sudden we were watching the movie and I'm like, oh, that's her. Isn't Daniel Craig in that one, too? In uh, which one? Knives Out. He is. Oh, man. He is indeed. He plays a very uh, memorable detective. <laughs> he, he he tries to rock the Southern accent, which is pretty funny. <laughs> uh, but anyway, going back to um, Anna, like it was amazing to see her in a Bond film. First of all, I think she makes a fabulous Bond girl. Oh, like yeah. the way she looks like... like it's a no brainer. Like you're like, Oh my gosh, like this is, this is awesome. And I mean, really to like, to a lot of the, the bond films credit, like they do an exquisite job picking out the various females who are going to play different characters in the bond films. I mean, it's really, really cool how they're, they, they must have some kind of formula to it because it's, (laughs) it's amazing how, it's not like X squared. Yeah. Well, like what I'm saying is, is that <laughs> when it, when you think about like like the different types of females that you see, for the most part, um, 
you tend to see females that have more of that international quality to them. It's not like, oh yeah, here's Pam Anderson playing a Bond girl. <laughs> like, you, you know what I mean? Like, like straight off the set of Baywatch. <laughs> Bond, I'm here. Yeah, it's like, like it just, no, no. And so that that's to the creator's credit because- uh. It makes it more of an immersive experience for the viewer because, like, you know, you're in this exotic location and you and you get to meet people who are, you know, could be considered like either maybe they're from that location or, or um, like a country that's like next door to it, whatever it may be. Yeah. The issue that I had with this film, though, was that she was in it for like five minutes and then that, oh, just bye. Yeah. See ya. Five. I'm like, wait a minute. Hold on a second. We need to spend some quality time with this character a whole lot longer because, I mean, first of all, she totally held her own in the film. Like, I, I absolutely loved when uh, when we get introduced to her and she's like drinking that little stody pop or whatever. Yeah. And I loved how her persona was more of this just kind of like... I don't know. Like, I'm like, new at the job. I'm excited, but yeah, I'm kind of excited yeah. and, and fresh faced and like, sure. you know, cause like oftentimes you come across someone like you come across a bond girl in the film and, the, and they're just like, yeah, you know, they're like they're all <laughs> demure and they're <laughs> holding their drink. Yeah. Yeah. You do not know what, what you are asking for, Mr. Bond. <laughs> you know, like, like <laughs> she was so much more uh, carefree and, yeah. and had that breath of fresh air. Well, even like, like when it comes to Cubans, you know, like, like she really embodied a lot of that, um, just that, that, that quality that, that they exude when it comes Spice to like their culture and their music. Yeah. yeah like, like smiling and of like, I, it was fantastic. How so, dare the movie writers introduce us to such a, a wonderful character and then just snap it away from us. You know what I'm saying? And go, go ahead. I was going to say, yeah. I'm conflicted as well in terms of the send off because on the one hand, it was like, it was super cool that there are different kinds of um, allies within the, the different spy organizations that hook each other up, help each other out, so on and yeah, so forth, right? I, I didn't say hook up. I said hook each other up in one. terms of when they're in danger. Yeah. <laughs> You know, like plugging into an outlet. Uh, sure. <laughs> Making strange bedfellows. <gasps> uh, but anyway, when it comes to, to this particular situation, I was conflicted because you have this moment where like, you know, it, it, it comes time for James Bond to depart, right? Right. And they do this like handshake at the end. They're like, oh, hey, hey, thanks a lot. Thanks for helping me out. All right, no problem. Yeah, good luck. Okay, bye. I'm like... I don't think I've ever seen James Bond give another like like female spy or or agent or whatever a handshake before he leaves and goes somewhere. So on the one hand, it's like, okay, I think that's actually a really fresh approach. It's like, okay, he's being professional. Once again, he's seasoned, that sort of thing. And uh, very respectful, that sort of, you know, whatever else. But then the other side of the equation is like, dude, this is James Bond. Right. The playboy. Right. Like, the guy, like, you know, regardless of what you think of the character, like part of the archetype of James Bond is that 
I mean, he he exudes this like his his libido is beyond <laughs> healthy. Like, we'll just say it that way. Oh, so like it is interesting boy. to me to see that. And it's not like just based off of that alone, but also too like I think in terms of Anna's performance, I totally wanted to see more of of what they could have done with her character development. Because again, like, okay, first of all, the girl totally, I mean, she, like her, like the way that she exuded this character was very cool, very like original as far as I'm concerned. Secondly, that dress, oh gosh. that dress was fire a, a, from a scale of one and 10. That was an 11. Yeah. Like it, it was amazing. And she just looked so beautiful in that whole thing. The fighting sequences were totally believable. And I like this idea too, where like, you know, in the beginning we think, oh, she's only had three weeks of training. And then, you know, come to find out that was a lie. And I like how Bond <laughs> called her out. He's like, oh yeah, three weeks of training, huh? You know, and, but that was cool because I found myself gleefully buying into like, oh, she's like this new recruit. She's only had three weeks, whatever. And then come to find out that she's not only played Bond, but she's also played us as the audience. Where it's like, no, she clearly is also very experience doing what she does and awesome and everything else. One of the other things too, is that we didn't really get a chance to enjoy being in Cuba. Right. I mean, it was at nighttime and we're at some sort of like bar or whatever. And you briefly see yeah. like, like the outside of it. And that's Barely. it. Yeah. Uh, he sails there. So you get to see like some of the really nice, why he sails there from like Jamaica. I think yeah, it was. Yeah. That's where uh, his house was. Yeah, kind of you know, out in the middle of nowhere, beautiful paradise, and uh, and some like yeah, you know, Cuba. Let's you know, see, hear some of that music, see some dancing, sip some mojitos. I was I was waiting for him to ask for a mojito. Yeah, <laughs> come on, mojito, please. That's, <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it, Daniel Craig. I'm sorry. I'm going to, have to practice it in the mirror tonight. <laughs> um, but um, I, when you were when you're talking about uh, her playing us and Bond and everything, we like loved her for it. Like, yeah. thank you for playing me. Like, yeah. <laughs> just like, when oh, she shoots man. that like darling smile, like it's, oh. it's just that fantastic. Oh, like, like you know, you like she could have done like the absolute worst thing. She shoots that smile, and you're just kind of like. Okay, fine. Yeah, okay. Uh, but so the scene, I think what you're talking about is when they're departing and they're taking that scientist out and he, they're like right. going to put him on the plane or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she leans over kind of like in um, on that column, whatever, gets a little bit close to Bond and she's like, won't you stay a little bit, you know, later next time. It has that smile. I'm yeah. Like, yes, Bond. Like, you know, <laughs> fly that plane back after, you know, drop. Don't go to that boat. You know, um, man. Some bad things are going to happen on that boat. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you right now. <laughs> Might be more comfortable staying right here. <laughs> you already kill all the bad guys. I mean, yeah. like, you know what? What's the worst that's going to happen? <laughs> yeah. No, oh, definitely. So, yeah. Geez. So I, I was thinking you would probably be more or less on the same page as me on that. But I, I had to get that out of the way because that <sighs> was one of the, the setbacks of the film where I'm just like, <sighs> there, there should have been a lot more of, uh, of Anna. The entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. I agree, Ross. So then they get on the boat mm -hmm. and we find out that the smiley service <laughs> dude. <laughs> Do you recognize like, who he was from? Or where he was from? I don't recognize. I recognize him. I don't recognize where he's from. We saw him in the big short. He was one of like the, the douche bros who, who's like taking advantage oh, of all yeah. of the, 
that's subprime right. mortgages. Yeah, that's the scene where, yeah, they all go in. He's like, yeah, he's like, uh, I saw ninja loans, no job, no income or something like that. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, okay, bro. You know, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, he's like, I sell them to all the immigrants who come in. They all want to have a dream of buying a house. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I reckon. Yeah, that's exactly. Right. And and I was a little concerned. I'm like, wait a minute, what's he doing in a Bond film? Right. And I hoped he wasn't going to be someone like I was hoping he was. He was not going to be one of the good guys. Right. I'm very glad that my intuition served me well. But they didn't really tell like what was his story. I mean, they they you know he was obviously part of Spectre, but um, well, he was I think employed by the U.S. government. That's why he was with Felix. Was like right. he was a part of some State Department thing, whatever. But clearly, he was also working for Spectre. And uh, the idea being, I mean, that, that's why even like when he gets introduced to Bond and Bond's talking kind of one on one with Felix, and he was saying, "Dude, the guy smiles way too much. Like, what, what is the deal here?" Um, and then, of course, you get to the boat scene, and we realize, "Wow, this is." Uh, pretty jacked up and, and everything else. And, um, but I will say too, I really enjoyed his demise. Yes, I did too. That was, that was good. That was more of that, that James Bond scene. Oh, that scene was so cool. It was like beautifully haunting. Yeah. And that forest with the mist and you can't really see much of what's going on. And, uh, he's using kind of like that dense fog as to his advantage. Um, this is beautifully shot. Um, yeah. Yeah, the cinematography yeah. in the in the movie was good, on point. As have all of the you know when I think of the Daniel Craig and in, in particular the the Daniel Craig James Bond films, every single film, the cinematography, the framing, even the 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 color grading on it is on point. It's beautiful. Like you could pause any one of those films at any point. And you're like, okay, this is gorgeous. This yeah. is really nice. So, um, but going kind of back to what you were talking about with regards to the main villain. It was interesting to me how, so in Spectre, we are um, taken through this story about how, like basically it was like a war of information. If you recall in Skyfall, that was when we had the MI6 headquarters bombed, basically like it blew right. up. And then in, in Spectre, they were trying to figure out what they were going to do because MI6, uh, the building itself was, was demolished. They needed to rebuild it. And there was this almost like a competing entity um, that was was working to basically take control over all the different departments by basically spying on everybody. And, and it, was, it was very Orwellian in terms of um, how they wanted to dismantle like MI6 and the, and the double O program and that sort of thing and have eyes everywhere. And of course the person who was part of or leading that entire thing uh, was a part of Spectre as well. And so that was the main theme going in. The main conflict was like, you know, they, they were exploring this idea of, okay, if you have like more of a secure state where like, you know, everything is under surveillance and you have basically no privacy, what is it that you are, are giving up um, for that type of, of, you know, security or whatever. And so it's interesting because in this film, they don't really go down that path, even though um, Christoph's character um, comes back, you know, he has a, a smaller role in the film, but this one has more to do with, well, there's two different parts. First of all, so in, uh, I'm kind of, I'm trying to like not go all over the place with this, but like in the, um, in the Spectre film, we, we realize that James Bond and Kristoff's character shared the same father. 
and how James Bond was um, a, a, he was adopted into Kristoff's family. I keep saying Kristoff because I don't remember what his actual like bad guy name is. Um, so anyway, that was like his big beef with Bond was like his father like spent all this time with James and like, you know, had the, like coming this thing. back to me. Yeah. Yeah. So he had a bone to pick with Bond and all that and Bond. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't don't remember if James actually recalled having a brother or not. That part I'm, I'm a little foggy on. Um, but then when you get to this film, suddenly it also becomes um, about the Safin guy who has a bone to pick with Kristoff because Kristoff murdered his family. Right. And so he was coming back for him. And that's why we see Spectre get decimated, which again, that was kind of surprising too. It's like, wow, like he just offed like pretty much everybody who was in leadership roles with the Spectre entity. And then in, including even Kristoff at the end, his character, he gets offed as well. And so that was kind of surprised me because I, I really thought that they were going to do more with the whole Spectre thing. Since, since that was kind of an ongoing growing uh, revealing type of, of shadowy enemy throughout all the Daniel Craig, James Bond films. So, and then it just kind of pivoted into like, Oh, well now I'm, you know, I'm dealing with this stuff and I, you know, and then they kind of forwarded on with James's love interest. Right. And how like he spared her life and that sort of thing. And, and then from there, I don't know, he, he was just being diabolical and he was almost like kind of the male version of poison Ivy, you know, like he had like all these different, plants and he was like this like really uh obsessed botanist of sorts where like he was all about making different types of poisons and things that that could really um affect uh, the the human physical condition give you indigestion russ at the very least yeah those nanobots in there attached to your dna do all sorts of terrible things to you you know there was another part too toward the end where um you know, they're, they're at the base of you know, the, the, the secret evil lair. <laughs> and the secret evil lair. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so we, you know, so Bond opens up the, the blast doors. <laughs> he opens up all the missile silo doors and everything else. So, so um, they can blow the whole place to, to kingdom come. Smithereens. And then the doors shut. And so then he has to go back. He's wondering, what is the problem? And we realized like, like Safin all of a sudden gets the drop on him. And I felt like that was kind of random. Like it, it was kind of, random. it was like yeah. Bond was taking care of business, doing his thing. And then out of nowhere, he's like, aha, ha, shoot, 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 shoot. Yeah. You know? And you're like, <laughs> what? I caught you on a where's Bond. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there was, there was no laughing, <laughs> no diabolical laughter, but I found that to be rather hard to believe because, you know, of course they, they showcase him with his henchmen leaving Leave, yeah, the base. Exactly. And for him to expose, like that's one of the things too, is like, he's not like some capable, like, fighter like like yeah he'll get the drop on people he's he's very methodical and that sort of thing but you can tell it's like he has no desire to want to like face bond straight on and there's no way so i mean like i don't know i feel like that could have been thought out a bit better yeah no i agree i i i thought okay you were leaving and now you're not leaving and now you just shoot bond out of nowhere and yeah it, it did feel cheap it felt like they had to it felt like they had to wrap it up. They had to end it. Um, how are you going to kill Bond? You know, because you, 
face it, you haven't killed him yet in yeah. you know, decades. So, I mean, like, you're just really hard to get the drop on him. Right. Um, and so then they just had Bond with his guard down and then he just shoots him a couple times and they can't make him escape. And you're right. I don't know. Yeah. It, it did feel cheap. That's, that's for sure. Um, I mean, Bond went out in a blaze of glory, which was fine, but that whole sequence of, yeah, you know, I'm just going to shoot you with a pistol when your back is turned. Yeah. I was like, nah, whatever. And, re- <laughs> and see, that, I think that's part of the problem I have with it too, is the fact that like, okay, so we used a gun and I'm like, okay, this guy is way too exotic to like, I mean, he probably kind of looks down on guns to be honest. Like he's, For, yeah, right. he's kind of more like he, he wants to be able to utilize his toys in a, exactly. in a way that, you know, I don't know. Like, like if he had some, and, and he did it in a way where like, you know, like when Bond broke his arm or whatever, you know, he took that vial that he had and smashed it on Bond's face, infecting Bond in that way. I just wanted to, you know, like we get this tour of, of his lab which is huge and has all kinds of cool stuff. You don't know what it exactly it is that they're harvesting or manufacturing. Maybe we know about the little like smart bots and or whatever poison and stuff, but I wanted to see like, okay, what are some of like the, the toys in this, this villain's arsenal with regards to like this? I mean, it's not like every single freaking plant that they had there was only for one thing. Yeah. Like I think he was probably building a whole bunch of different types of, uh, well, yeah. I mean, he, when, when, um, when he had the child in his arms and he was kind of taking her around and, showing her the plants and stuff. He was like, yeah, this one's used for this. This one's used for that. Right. Da, da, da. So y- it was more than just, okay, here's a big pool of acid. Yeah. You know, this, this one, um, <laughs> this one stops your heart from beating and then nothing else. And this one has sharks with freaking laser beams attached to their heads. Yeah, exactly. But he did play uh, a good villain. I really enjoyed him being in the, the villain role. Um, and so th- I thought that was really fun. And it was interesting too, like watching Bond die, you know, um, again, this plays into how they wanted to take a more original approach to the formula of James Bond and how this really had this, this kind of character arc that James went on throughout the various films. And so to see him, uh, basically go through that, it was more heartfelt. And I think that that's kind of one of the the reoccurring qualities of the Daniel Craig, James Bond films is the fact that there are more opportunities to have a, an accessible heartfelt type of, of situation. And like, if, if I go back to Casino Royale, for example, I absolutely bought into and loved um, like the moment where Vesper locks herself in that, that elevator that's underwater, you know, they're in Italy and Venice. Yeah. Uh, yes. And there are, um, just several moments where the, like, you know, there's, there's a cascade of emotions because you buy into like how they love each other and everything else. And how all of a sudden, like you realize, Oh wow. Like she stripped him of all of his, like his psychological defense mechanism armor. And she too has her own kind of other types of motives and stuff, but she still feels very guilty for doing it. And, and, and you know, there are a lot, a lot of complexities in there that I appreciated because if I think about like older bond films, it's very shallow. It's very like surface level in terms of, you know, this oh, bond meets girl hooks up with girl girl wants to stay with bond forever. Bond 
says Go, no get, get with and another girl. Yeah, like <laughs> you know, like like that 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 was kind of like the older formula versus this one, which you can see there's there's much more of a sense of consequence to entering a relationship, and I think that that's also one of the things that I think is interesting about. Um, the, especially in particular, the last two films is that we have this love interest that continues from Spectre into No Time to Die, and so that that's an interesting dynamic because we just haven't seen that in a Bond film before. It was almost like he was getting ready to kind of play house, right? That's what I say. I, these Bonds get domes- domesticated. Domestic. I was going to say domestified. I will say, though, in terms of like if I were to compare the love interests, though, I still have a soft spot for Vesper, who was played by Eva Green back in the Casino Royale film. I absolutely loved the whole relationship dynamics of that. You're just saying that because you met her. That's all you're saying. She was lovely. I don't know if I've ever have I ever talked about that on, yes. the, sh- on the show. Yeah, I'm sure you have, Russ. Yeah. You know what? I'm sure you have. You talked to yeah, you have, Russ. Yeah, you have. Uh, you might not remember, probably early on, but you did. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed that encounter. I did. Did you, Russ? I did. Mm. <sighs> okay, fine. I'm going to say it again. So. Really briefly, because we're talking about Bond anyway. When I met her, I told her that my favorite performance of hers was Vesper from James Bond, Casino Royale. Did she say she's never heard that from anybody before, Rose? No. She looked me in the eye, gave the famous Eva Green smile and said, thank you very much. Next. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went on and probably the next person said the You can move sense. along now. Yeah, oh, exactly. Oh right. Yeah. It's nice to meet you. I still have that connection, that five second connection. Yeah. With Eva Green. Haven't ever washed your eyes since I was <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> no, it, it was a lot of fun. And uh but no, when it goes to the uh the film itself. Really, I mean, the chemistry between her and Daniel Craig, I thought was perfect. And it was so heartbreaking to see like how that stuff unfolded. And I, for one, actually commend this particular film for taking the time to once again reflect on how he still has like kind of this mourning for Vesper, right? right? It's, it's not like he's, oh, I'm fine. I moved on. Whatever. Vesper, who? <laughs> who are we talking about? The motorcycle? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> I'm in Italy. Are you sure you're not, you're not talking about Vespa? Yeah. Um, but I think it was really cool to make that return because, again, w- films tend to be similar or akin to poetry, right? We're like, you, you know, if you look at uh, a poem they have kind of like this return to the beginning almost in terms of the of the lyrics and and the way the the various uh, poems are structured and i feel like film tends to borrow that same type of approach in different capacities and this one it was the fact that he v- visited her grave he was trying to like get over the remnants of like how he still felt about her but even when he was there at the grave site you can tell like all those feelings came rushing back. Right. Like, like it wasn't like, oh, I'm here to pay my respects and I'm I'm with this new woman now and I'm okay. 
and I'll see you later. You know, like it, it was very different um, in the sense that like the longer he stood there, he was just totally reminded of like, he's like, man, I am not over her. I need to meet a woman from Cuba. <laughs> Lighthearted and charming. That's what I need to do. That's, that'll give me closure. Closure. <laughs> I think it is worth <laughs> noting too that the little girl was dark. Oh, yeah. That was like hands down. Like I think I haven't seen a girl that precious since my daughter was born. My daughter wins uh, my heart over that one. But let me just tell you, hmm. that girl was super cute. She super was. Cute, yeah. Little cherub child. Little cherub child indeed. Other cherub children were in uh, Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring Ross. That, that scene when uh, Gandalf's setting off the fireworks and he's, and, or and Bilbo was talking about uh, making the, turning the trolls into stone. Uh-huh. Ah, I think those were, um, <laughs> uh, what's his face's kids? Uh, the director. Um, very, uh, very hairy man. Um, Are you referring to Peter? Peter Jackson? Yes, <laughs> Peter. Peter the I'm a little eater. surprised you couldn't remember his name considering how big of a fan you are. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. I'm not very good with names. <laughs> I've said this multiple times. Uh, did you have any other comments about the film, Steve? Russ, we, uh, what did you, um, <laughs> what did you, um, think of the, the uh, new 007? Okay, so the new 007, I thought she was okay. I thought that it was interesting to explore the notion of how since Bond had retired out from being a double O, right. they were filling that spot with another person. And that was heavily publicized too in terms of like, okay, we're doing this new thing with the story and whatnot. And like I said, I thought she was okay, um, but she didn't have the commanding presence right. that some of the other actors had. Right. Like for instance... Naomi Harris plays Money Penny. Right. By the by, we talked about Naomi Harris in the previous episode of Joygasm. We did. You don't remember, do you? <laughs> <laughs> she was in Venom, Let There Be Carnage. She was Woody Harrelson's love interest. Ah, that was uh, Shriek. Shriek, very good. Shriek. Yeah, it's all coming back to him now. <laughs> but she, you know, and I told you she was also in Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, yeah. yeah. She is a chameleon actor. Let me tell you, like, when I saw her in Bond, I, uh, once again, like, I have <laughs> I've seen her in multiple Daniel Craig James Bond movies. And I thought, man, she is so pretty. Oh, she's so cute. She's got, like, this, like, fun little, like, spunky attitude, you know, for the character, yada, yada. Never made the connection as to who the actress was as I was preparing the, for this show tonight. I'm like... Oh my goodness, that's her again. Like that yeah. that is the coolest thing. So kudos to her for that because every time I see her in a film, I don't recognize her as Naomi Harris because she is so into that role and she like they they have an ability to make her look considerably different in each they one of do. these roles. That's just true, yes. What did you think overall, Steve? Between uh, you know, what we're talking about between the the new 007 versus even uh, Money Penny? Um, so money penny. So I'm, I didn't think they were going to bring her back. I, 
I at this point I didn't realize that all like the 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 Daniel Craig Bond films were like connected. I kind of thought they were different, and I had kind of had to connect the dots. Yeah. So then it made sense why they would bring her back, and I was like, cool. Yeah, I remember uh, you being in Bond's apartment last time I saw you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so, but the the new 007. See, here's the thing: is that I think all the headlines that were out are are there for people to start talking about. Oh, sure. And so I thought, I mean, when the headlines came out, I think they just said something like, oh, uh, the new 007 is a woman. Mm Mm-hmm. They, they wanted to kind of stir the pot a bit. Yeah, but I thought... Get the gossip going. But the way that... I I could be totally wrong with with the wording, but um, I thought you're going to have a woman named James Bond. I don't think that really fits. Well, you know... yeah, and I don't. Yeah, they were they were trying to strum up hype and yeah. get people talking and that sort of thing. But I think the film was very responsible in terms of like how they decided they're going to have that flow. I was trying to get to that. Oh, go, go, continue. Man, so um, anyhow, you see this person. I mean, it makes logical sense. Hey, you retired. You're gone. We had to hire someone else, right. so we did. Yeah, and she's skilled and she knows what she's doing. Right. and it's not just some empty suit we just threw in and gave a paycheck to like yeah. you know she, she's qualified absolutely um and like she said like oh it's only a number because to her it really only is um well not necessarily oh. i i think that we saw in the film that clearly there is a certain prestige a certain amount of prestige if you get the 007 uh, label on there out of all the double O's that are, that are there. And I think that was the biggest thing for her was when Daniel Craig returns, she felt threatened with that position. She didn't want to relinquish the 007 simply because he was helping them once more. And then we see how like she realizes, wow, like this is really petty. Like, yeah, it is just a number after all. I can be measured on the merits of what it is that I accomplish on my own, regardless of, of this number. And I think that that was actually a um, a positive testament to like how they were being thoughtful about exploring the the idea. Well, what it, what exactly is a 007, Right? Like like what goes into that number? Because clearly the the number is iconic. They've branded it to be associated with all these different types of. Uh, you know, spy espionage can do get through all the tough situations, you know, so on and so forth. And uh, so I think that part of it was fun, but I think some of the leaks that they did leading up to the film, I think it put the film in danger of like, just, it was becoming toxic. Right. Yeah. I, they didn't do a good job. There's PR because you want to people to yeah. go see the movie and you want people to talk about the movie, but you don't want to, again, <laughs> it seems like this is the third podcast we brought it up, but like, you don't want to alienate your <laughs> fundamental audience. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, you know, people who are fans of Ian Fleming in the, in the comics, uh, James Bond comics. I mean, you, you don't, those people will, will spend money because of what they've been reading their sure. youth and all into their adulthood. And so if you say, Hey, that's not important anymore. We're going to change it. You know, that's just not a path you want to go down. Um, but anyhow, I, I was, I, did you know there's a James Bond like wiki out oh, there? Oh, I did not know that, but I'm not surprised. So I, uh, I, I just noticed that I, I didn't read it all that much, but I think it, 
it it's more of like as long as you're a double O, then you're at that elite status. Mm-hmm. But I think, and I could be told. I mean, I don't I don't know anything about this, but I think double O seven just rings off, like rolls off the tongue a little bit better. Because be like, yeah, I'm double O three, I'm double O two, you know. But double O seven, well, double O eight. Again, I think it has to do with the relationship of that number in context with James Bond, because again, the Bond franchise has now been in existence for 60 years ish, 60 or 70. I mean, it's been around for a long time. Mm. And what, what you're talking about is brand affinity. And yeah. so like, you know, I have a feeling if they were to choose a different number at random from the, the get go, that it would have the same amount of prestige and weight behind it. It's just that we have associated that number with, you know, everything that, that is the persona of James Bond. Well, that being said, even if there was nothing there, you have the mantle of mm-hmm. double o, of what, of where 007 came from. Right. So, I mean, that alone is like huge. Oh, you're the new 007. You know who was last 007? Right. You know, and that's, that's why the film, I think, was thoughtful in exploring that right. because clearly that was kind of the go-to that people would be uh, talking about. Yes. Speaking of the numbers, by the by, one of the things that I was thinking about in the theater that I kind of wished we could have seen is having multiple double O's come together and work as a united force against something. Right. I don't know if they've done that in a, a previous Bond film. I want to say they have not. They but like they, they make they make like verbal references to like different like like in in uh I think it was Spectre, I want to say. There was a reference to like 009, right? Like, oh 009's gonna get this car. You know, this is not for you, 007. So and that's cool because <laughs> um, again, like you have the you have multiple like elite assassins within MI6, right? Yeah. I would have loved, especially for a film like this, where clearly it was a send off to Daniel Craig, it would have been fantastic to potentially have other double O's that are there. Now we did have it in terms of, of the woman who was playing, um, the, the double O, but in, in, in that unto itself, okay. Like, like that was in the right direction. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. Having two elite assassins together, working together, that sort of thing. But I just wanted to be able to, I don't know, like, like in the movie, the Kingsmen, like you have like something kind of sort of like that. We're like, like all of a sudden, like, you know, Bond actually needs help with something, right? Like in, in that base, for instance, was huge. And so looking at something like that, I was thinking, okay, how cool would it be to all of a sudden, you know, cold in the Calvary. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think it would have been a pretty cool opportunity to do something like that. What do you think, Steve? Well, I don't know, Russ. That was kind of calling. Yeah, that would have been fine. Um, everybody sit around a table drinking a spot of tea and crumpets. Um, getting their shoes shined. Because again, like Lashana Lynch, who played Nomi, she was the other double O. Like yeah. she's the one who, you know, again, it was, it was really cool to see her and Daniel Craig working together throughout that base. But that was so like, that was the part of them kind of sneaking their way through, right? Like they want to go undetected and yada, sure. yada. And yeah, sure. they, they had a little bit of shooting going back and forth, but like how cool it'd be like when all the, the proverbial crap is hitting the fan. <laughs> and uh, in addition to the rockets coming in, they had to bring in some other double O's. I don't know. I think that that would have been the cat's meow. 
<laughs> the bee's knees. Yes. <laughs> Is there anything else, Steve? Because hey. if there's not, then I'm going to go into movie trivia. Do it. I swear. <laughs> upon I'm sorry. I just talked my hand so much. <laughs> I don't even know where this was. Was it like right there? Yeah, that, that, that's where it was. Exactly. <laughs> He moves the mics every single time we do a show. I'm going to have to bolt these to the table or something. Anyway, let us begin, shall we? <gasps> Reportedly, James Bond actor Daniel Craig personally handpicked Cuban actress Anna de Armas to play Palo- uh, Paloma in this Bond movie after working with her on Knives Out uh, of 2019, huh. which first released only about four months before No Time to Die was originally meant to release. Sure, he wooed her with those blue eyes. Yeah, I'm telling you, that is a textbook example of it's all about who you know. Because when you think about that, they had four months left on the mm. Bond film to wrap up. So she basically came in like with a very like amount of time. Yeah. (laughs) Can I rub elbows real quick? The official launch and announcement for the film took place at GoldenEye in Jamaica, once the home of Ian Fleming, where he created the James Bond character in 1952. Mm. Ian Fleming wrote 12 novels and two collections of short stories on the island. GoldenEye is owned and operated by Island Outpost, founded by Chris Blackwell, who formerly owned Island Records. GoldenEye, though, was not used as a filming location for the movie, but key creatives and principal cast did stay at GoldenEye for this live reveal event and during the Jamaican leg of the shoot. Hmm. I had no idea that uh, Mr. Fleming lived in Jamaica. That was news to me. As I'm sure it was news to you. It was you. news to me, Russ. You know what I just thought of? might want to get one of them books on my uh, Kindle app. You know what I'm saying? A little James Bond book, Russ, read it on a plane or something. You know what I'm saying? I hear you, Steve. I hear See you. what it's all about firsthand. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. What else you got? The type of mask seen in the film being worn by Rami uh, Malik is a known uh, mask called a no. It's N-O, spelled N-O-H. It's a no mask. They are made by carving from blocks of Japanese cypress and then later painted with natural pigments. Mm. Reportedly, this Bond film and Spectre of 2015 will apparently not be based on any original Ian Fleming James Bond story, which that is also interesting too into itself because if that is in fact the case, it is interesting how those two kind of have their own feeling which is noticeably like we talked about it. It is a bit of a departure from what we're used to with uh, the previous Bond films. The first, um, this is the first James Bond film to feature a major leading Bond girl from Cuba with uh, the casting of Cuban born actress, Ana de Armas, who plays Paloma at age 38, Steve Hmm. Rami Malek is the same age as Daniel Craig was when he first starred as James Bond in Casino Royale 2006. Nice. Very interesting. Man's making a name for himself. The quote M 
played by Raph Fiennes, uh, recites at the end of the movie is taken from American novelist Jack London. It states, quote, the proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time. This is actually an abridged version of a longer quotation, which, which reads, quote, I would rather be ashes than dust. I would rather that my spark should burn out in a brilliant blaze than it should be stifled by dry rot. I would rather be a superb meteor, every atom of me in magnificent glow than a sleepy and permanent planet. The proper function of man is to live, not to exist. I shall not waste my days in trying to prolong them. I shall use my time, end quote. Well said. Yeah, that's some creative writing right yeah, there. Yeah, my goodness. Not some of that writing today. I'm saying well. <laughs> this is the first time since the movie franchise started in 1962 that the James Bond character dies. So that's yes. you know, a confirmation oh, yeah. that, that obviously that has never happened before. Right. And finally, when Bond puts Madeline on the train, she touches her stomach as the door closes. This is an indication that she is pregnant, foreshadowing the foreshadowing the later reveal that he has a daughter. Mm-hmm. I noticed that, and I and the reason why I noticed it was because I I thought it was odd that she that she clutched her stomach instead of like her heart because mm. like you know like like he's putting her on the train, he's leaving her, she's upset, she loves him. You know, what do you do? You put your hand on, you're like, oh, as you leave. But instead she went like this, oh. And I was like, why, why is she putting her hand on her stomach? Well, now we understand the significance of that. Yep, Russ, yep, yep. I thought you were going to say something like, I have indigestion. Yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of my nipples getting tender, like you're going to breastfeed or something. <laughs> I knew, I figured you would say something like that, Russ. Uh, Not in this instance, no, Steve. Well, Uh, but I'm glad you did. Yep. Glad. I filled in that bubble for you. You did, Steve. (laughs) So, Steve, could you please give me your concluding thoughts and rating of the film? Yes, Russ. So, what I would say. Stop bumping the mic. (laughs) Actually, I think I bumped the table, which bumped the mic. (laughs) So, anyhow. I had fun with the movie. You know, it, it was a it was a blasty blast, mostly because of the action, the cinematography. You know, uh, love seeing Daniel Craig on screen uh, as Bond as we have for many many years. This baby blues. This baby blues. Um, I I don't I'm not I don't I can't say this is my favorite Bond. Mm. I mean I I do like this Bond, but I wish I wish I had seen the more recent films before this one. Cause like I said, I am totally lost. Yeah. I'm trying to remember everything. So it makes sense. And like my wife and I were driving home and she's like, did that? So tell me about it. I'm like, Oh, I can't, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, I'm lost throughout the entire thing. So it's like, you know, you can't just go in there and watch it for an action flick. I mean, I guess you could, but the story's not clear enough so that you would, it would really matter to you. But at the same time, you're going to be bewildered with all of the cinematography and special effects and, and, and action. I mean, I was, and my wife was, and that was enough to really have, let us have a good time with the movie. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really have to know all the characters and the history to have a lot of fun. And I think that's pretty important. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I'm a little bit torn between actually knowing James Bond died. I don't know if that was the correct decision. I'm not really opposed to it, but it's like, okay, well, James Bond is going to be coming back later on. This sure. is not the end of James Bond. Right. Um, it's definitely a clear picture of the Daniel Craig James Bond ending that legacy. Right. Um, I don't know if we really needed that, though. I mean, why can't Bond go off into the sunset and have a kid and be married and just settle down? I mean, you know, why, why, why can't he just be happy? Why does he have to, like, die in a, in a blaze of glory, literally? Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, to me. But at the same token, it was like, okay, I, I can kind of see it because, like, for example... Jack Bauer in 24. Like, he's never going to be at peace. Right. There's always going to be people who are after him and going to want to kill him. Yeah. And so it, I think it's kind of fantasy in a way to think that a happy ending is possible for somebody like sure. James Bond. Even though I want that for James Bond. Oh, yeah. So I don't know. I'm kind of torn between it. But I, I do, I am kind of, I, I do feel cheap the way they, they, <laughs> they brought back. I'm like, you know what? I didn't pay for this kind of like low-level kind of riding. I like, was just going to go up and shoot him with a pistol and that's going to be it. And, you know, I just think it really did a disservice. Uh-huh. Um, will I watch the movie again? Yes, I will. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to really recommend the others to see the movie if, if you're not a real big James Bond fan. Right. So, but that being said, I mean, the fun factor is, is really high. So, um, I mean, oh, I'm just really torn. I would say probably... I would say, I would say probably I would give it a three. Okay. A three from Steve. I have certain comments that piggyback off of what you were just talking about. (laughs) I thought that it has been a nice journey in terms of where this got started with Casino Royale going into Quantum of Solace, going into Skyfall, going into Spectre, and then ending in uh, A Time to Die, or No Time to Die, excuse me. And I have thoroughly enjoyed the journey throughout all of those films. I think it was a, a very wise and shrewd decision to actually explore like how a Bond series um, could look if they, they took this type of approach. I think in terms of them killing bond. I, I, I agree with what you're saying. And I think that's kind of where you have to kind of be careful how you straddle that line because you don't want to like, like I, I can see how like, like you have this creative think tank and you're trying to figure out, okay, what are certain things that have never been done before in a bond flick? Right. And they have this whiteboarding session and they're going through all these different ideas and whatnot. And, and there have been many good ideas that, that they have used for the films, but this is one in particular where I, I can't help but wonder if there was a lot of discussion and debate around this particular idea simply because Bond as a character um, is not one that necessarily like, like puts himself in that situation. One, one of the, the secret ingredients to the bond recipe is that no matter what the odds are, no matter how impossible um, the current situation is, no matter how dire it is or whatever bond always finds a way to be able to survive and get past certain things. And also part of what makes his character tragic 
is the fact that that despite his desire to maybe want to settle down, have a family, that sort of thing, that's just not in his fate. You know, it's the whole like, you know, man versus fate kind of thing where like he, he really op- like just he wishes and he pines for, for, for that. But unfortunately, um, his place in life is one of, of just forever being that super spy assassin type, you know? And I think even if he were to survive, say for instance, that, that rocket blast, um, and move on, maybe there could have been some creative writing, which like basically it, it, it explains that, uh, you know, in so many visuals, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's left unsaid and just the visuals themselves communicate to the audience that this is kind of his, uh, his crossed bear basically like, like this, this, this is like the mantle that he has been or, or the deal he's been dealt. I think it's probably more appropriate in this instance. Um, and so looking at that, I think that it is a slippery slope when all of a sudden we're, we're just going to off James Bond. But yet at the end of the credits, we're going to have the text come up says James Bond will return. It's like, no, you just killed him. <laughs> like, and I think that, that, you don't want to cheapen that, right? Like, like that, that's why he will return is that he has been able to best or beat the odds that were definitely not in his favor. And, you know, it's, it's like, like there's no kind of rest for bond, right? Like there's no, like you, like there was, there, there will never be a time when he's able to get married and settle down and rest, nor will there be a time for him to enjoy eternal rest rest in peace for bond. I think not. And I think that that is part of the overarching conflict of that character. And one that like, you know, we all know deep down inside, like that, that's the case for him. Like that, that is his torture. Right. And it's this weird situation because he's able to, you know, he, he feeds off of his job, his duty, you know, his skill sets, that sort of thing. But he also recognizes that, um, he is unable to really um, enjoy the other pleasures of life that are not at this surface level. So it's interesting to me, but in terms of the film itself, you know, I, I was really happy to see Daniel Craig make a return to um, the, the silver screen. And it's a little bittersweet because I have enjoyed seeing him as bond over the, the, the entire series of the Daniel Craig bond films. Um, but like all, um, you know, fun rides, you know, that there is a beginning and there is an end. And so, um, you know, I was glad to see it one last time. I do think that this particular film did tend to play it a little more safer than the other bond films. There wasn't as much, like I said earlier, like, like if I were to compare this to like, say Tom Cruise's mission impossible series, I think the mission impossible series is still like way more like white knuckle, like, Oh my. And like the fact that like, Tom Cruise is, he did all of his own stunts. I'm like, my goodness, this is, this is insane. Yeah. So there is a difference between the two. Um, and having said that, like, this is, um, not my favorite Daniel Craig Bond film. I would say it's kind of a toss up. I would say between Casino Royale and Skyfall, those two are like probably my favorite out of the, the Daniel, uh, yeah, Daniel Craig, James Bond films. So having said that, I think I agree with you. I think uh, I will give this particular Bond film three stars. Yeah. It is a fun film. If you're a James Bond fan, I think you will have a good time. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see who takes on the mantle from here. That wraps up this episode of Joygasm. Thank you for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this 
I was going to say film. I keep saying that. If you enjoyed yeah, well, this episode, <laughs> this YouTube film, <laughs> we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and consider becoming a monthly contributor. You'll gain exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention it helps us monetarily do what we love to do. Also, make sure you punch that subscribe button and maybe a flip kick that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single episode of Joygasm, which drops once a week, every week. And while you're at it, do a search of at Joygasm TV on your favorite social media platform of choice. Last but not least, do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will look forward to hanging out with all of you once again next week.